Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Love. We want love to characterize our relationships. We want love to be the plot line of our lives. But what is love? In 93, Hathaway gave his stab at it with his hit single, What is Love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. He sung it a lot better than I do, and it hit the top of the charts in over a dozen countries. The song went viral before viral was a thing, and In many ways, our culture has defined love as he has. Love is simply not hurting someone. And when we live this narrative, it feels like we're just walking a tightrope in our relationships. We don't want to squash the person's dreams, so we don't say the hard thing at work. Our friend is in a new relationship, and we have thoughts on it, but we don't want to hurt the relationship, so we say nothing at all. We don't want to stir the pot at home, so we continue to walk that tightrope and we just don't say anything at all. You know, that's actually the trap I probably fall into the most often because I don't want to hurt Amanda. But is it really loving to not help someone when we could help someone, but instead we choose to hold back? When we believe this lie that love is simply not hurting someone, we start to assume that it's not our place to step in. Though we have the opportunity to actually help someone with what we have to offer, we choose to not hurt them instead. Now, there has to be a better way, like a a more complete definition of love. What is love? Scripture teaches us that God is love and that we know what love is because of the way God, through Jesus, loved us. Scripture is jam-packed with teaching on love, stories about love, and we're gonna look at one such story today because we're on this quest to not just answer this question, what is love, but to live as loving people. And as we're doing throughout this Plotline series, we're gonna look at a story from the Old Testament to learn about love, and then we're gonna be inspired by someone from our church family sharing their thoughts, their story about living as a loving person. So, if you got a Bible, open with me to 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 14. We're going to learn from the story of Nathan. Nathan is actually a often overlooked character in the unfolding story of God, but we're going to learn from Nathan today. And if you need a Bible to follow along in, you can of course do that in our free church app, where there's also a place you can jot down some notes. Now, as you're finding 2 Samuel 12, let me just kind of set the scene because some events have taken place leading up to the conversation we're about to read between Nathan and David. It was about 3,000 years ago, and David is the king of Israel. He is doing his thing, things are going well, but then one spring he decides to hang back in Jerusalem when all the other kings are out at war. On one particular evening that spring, David is on the palace rooftop and he's walking around and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. 
he inquires about her to his servants, and they inform him that she is Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah is off at war with the Israelites where David should have been. And because he's off at war, David chooses to flex his power and use it for his own good. And he has Uriah, excuse me, Uriah's wife, yes, Bathsheba brought to him and he sleeps with her. Well, Bathsheba got pregnant. So David decides, I'm going to bring Uriah back from battle, have him enjoy some time with his wife so that he thinks he's the father and then everything will be covered over. Only problem is that Uriah decides he's not going to go home. He's not going to sleep with his wife because his fellow soldiers, they're out at battle. They're out sleeping in tents. So Uriah, instead of going home, sleeps on the street outside David's palace. When plan A failed, David went with a new plan. He sends Uriah back into battle, this time carrying a letter for his sergeant Joab to put Uriah on the front lines of the battlefield where the fighting is the fiercest and then pull back so that he dies. Well, plan A failed, but plan B succeeded. And when it did, Joab, David's sergeant, ensured that David knew that Joab executed David's orders just as he asked. Now, David assumed everything was good. Everything's covered over. Uriah's dead. And he takes Bathsheba home to be his wife. And she has a son. He assumes everything is swept under the rug, the broom is disposed of, everything's going to be okay. And this is when our character, Nathan, enters the scene. But first, let's pray and let's ask to hear from God about being loving people. Lord, we come before you now and we want to love like you love. So would you teach us how to be loving in our relationships, loving in our conversations? Would you use Nathan to teach us this in your word? as we read it now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Samuel 12, starting in verse one. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Okay, I gotta pause here for just a moment and highlight something. You see, David's servants and David's sergeant both knew the right thing, but they chose to placate their king. They brought Uriah's wife to David. They ensured Uriah died in battle. So David's people wouldn't stand up to David. So God sent his person, Nathan, a court prophet, to speak to David because God had a word for David. Back in the text, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. With a word from God, Nathan illustrated his point with a parable, a story with a point. And in this parable, a rich man has a bunch of sheep, but he chooses to take the one sheep from the poor man to meet his friends, 
his traveler's needs. Now, David hears of the rich man doing this to the poor man, and here's how he responds. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Like God, David is outraged by this injustice. You see, David knew what was right, honoring and just. He was a man after God's own heart, after all. But while David had a moral compass and he knew the right thing to do, he chose to do his thing. And knowing the right thing and doing the right thing isn't always the same thing. And this is why God sends Nathan to David, because sin is often easier to spot in others than it is to see in ourselves. So God had Nathan raise the mirror to David and what he said next, picking up in verse 7 now. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did this, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. As God's mouthpiece to David, Nathan confronts David about his sin. And here's how Nathan did it. First, Nathan reminded David of God's grace. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, grace. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul, grace. And I gave you, gave your master's house to you, grace. And your master's wives into your arms, grace. And I gave you all Israel and Judah, grace. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more grace. With six very personal and potent examples, God, through Nathan, reminds David of the grace that he's shown him. When I think of grace, one of my favorite definitions of grace is this. Grace is getting what one doesn't deserve. David didn't deserve to be king. He didn't deserve deliverance. He didn't deserve his family. He didn't deserve his influence, his power. And similarly, we don't deserve the blessings that God has poured into our life our friends, our family, to live where others vacation. We, we don't deserve the influence that we have in our co companies or our communities. And it's only when we understand God's grace expressed toward us that we are quick to extend God's grace to others. Nathan began by reminding David of God's grace toward him. And then, second, Nathan reminded David of God's truth. 
In verse 9, it said, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David knew God's word. David knew what was right. But he didn't do what was right. He chose to go his own way. So Nathan reminds David of God's truth in the consequences that follow. Because he went his way and not God's way. We can know God's truth too. It's perfectly revealed to us in the person of Jesus, and it's perfectly recorded for us in Scripture. And one of the authors of Scripture was a close friend and follower of Jesus, and he described Jesus this way. In John 1, 14, the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God, who is love, revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. The culture that we live in, it gravitates towards the grace side of love. Because this is easy, it's soft, it's mushy. The religions of the world gravitate towards the truth side of love. It's about rules, it's about being right. But as pastor and author Caleb Kaltenbach teaches and also illustrates, love is the the tension of grace and truth. You see, trying to love someone with only grace is like holding a rubber band in one hand. And no one ever does this because it's weak and flimsy. There's no power there. Now, people who are full of grace and and absent of truth, they'll they'll tell us what uh, we want to hear, but not what we need to hear. For these people, they kind of almost view God as Buddy the Elf. Rules, merely a suggestion. But then on the other hand, we have these other people who, they're all about truth and they're absent of grace. They'll tell us what we need to hear, but not how we need to hear it. For them, God might as well be Judge Judy. Rules are the end all. So they follow them to the T. And what we do is when we try to love someone, we tend to lean towards one side or the other, grace or truth, because it's easier. So if we lean towards the grace side, we'll just sweep things under the rug. Oh, it's okay, Don't no big deal, don't worry about it. Or if it's on the truth side of things, we're quick to point out when someone's in the wrong. You know you're going five miles over the speed limit, right? Like you gotta slow this thing down grace and truth. We gravitate towards one, but grace without truth is flimsy and and truth without grace is weak as well. Where does the power lie? The power lies in the tension of grace and truth. But tension is uncomfortable, so we try to go to our natural bent one way or the other. But Christianity is filled with tension. Christianity is uncomfortable. Like we believe in one God in three persons. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. We believe that God is in control and that he's given us free will. Tension. If you don't like tension, you are going to hate Christianity. Because as followers of Jesus, we're called to live in the tension. Like Jesus being full of grace and full of truth. 
Love is the tension of the two. Tension is to be managed. Problems are to be solved. We get into our own issues when we start to try to solve tensions and manage problems, as Caleb concludes. So the question before us today is, how do we live a life in this tension of grace and truth? How do we love well in our relationships? Well, it starts with proximity to God. You see, when we're in close relationship with God, we're aware of His grace because it is only because of His grace that we can even have a relationship with Him. We were sinners. We deserved nothing except death. But God, in His grace, expressed His love to us in Jesus, who knew no sin and yet died on the cross for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. And when we have a relationship with God, you know what we want? We want to know God more. So we spend time in His Word, His truth. We call this chair time here at Connect. It's truly as simple as grabbing your Bible, journal, maybe a cup of coffee, and sitting down in your favorite chair and just enjoying time with God, listening to Him from His Word, talking to Him in prayer. And when we are spending time with God and we're deepening this relationship with Him, when we're closer and closer with Him, we're going to hear from Him and then we're going to be sent by Him, kind of like Nathan was. So, this is the first thing. We got to be in close proximity to God. But this, there's another thing we need to keep in mind. We got to be in close proximity with people. This is point number two. It's nearly impossible to love someone being full of grace and full of truth if we don't know them. Like, how are they doing? How are they doing really? Are, are they on a mountaintop right now or are they in a valley? Do they tend to be more sensitive or do they tend to be more hard-headed? These things matter because if we follow Jesus, which we're claiming to do, then one requires a little extra grace and one requires a little extra truth. How about this? Where's the person in their relationship with God? Like, do they claim to follow Jesus? Because if they claim to follow Jesus, we can invite them to follow the truth of Jesus. However, if this person doesn't claim to follow Jesus, we can't expect them to follow Jesus. We can invite them to follow him. And a great place to start is by sharing about Jesus' grace that he extends towards us so that we can have this relationship with God. When we're in proximity with God and we're in proximity with people, then three point people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who connects us with God. Jesus is the ultimate expression of grace and truth. And what I want us to notice here is that we aren't like smearing people in their sin because we just love truth. And we aren't just sweeping everything under the rug because we're obsessed with only grace. No, 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 no. We are spotlighting Jesus because Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is love. Nathan modeled this kind of approach with David. He shared of God's grace and then he shared of God's truth. And David, because he was a man after God's own heart, you know what he did when he heard of the offense that he did against Uriah and his wife and ultimately God, David repented of his sin. This is the proper response when someone confronts us about the sin in our life. 
And because of Jesus, because of the grace he's expressed to us, because of the truth he's taught us, you know what we can do? We, like David, we can repent of our sin and we can experience a right relationship with God again too. Loving with grace and truth is what we see Nathan do. We see Jesus embody it throughout his life and that's why John, his friend and follower, tells us that he came full of grace and truth. What could it look like today? Well, take a sec and check out this video and Michelle from our church family is gonna share a little bit of her thoughts on how she's trying to live a loving life full of grace and full of truth. Check this out. Hi Connect, I'm Michelle Mostead and this is Farah. Yeah, I definitely think it can be a challenge to speak truth into the lives of people that we love, but I, I take heart in the fact knowing that it's it's definitely not me, but it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, who does most of the work, all the work. And um, it's me just listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and speaking what He would want me to speak to that person. I know that um, He loves to use people and without Him, we cannot. And without us, he will not. And so I just take heart in the fact that it's not all, the weight is not on me. It's truly Christ in me that's doing the work. And so it's just me surrendering. Well, we love because he first loved us. And Anytime I get a moment to start to feel frustrated, I just stop and remind myself that, number one, God loves this person more than me. God wants their life to go better than my life, than I, than I want their life to go. And um, it's not my burden, and it's His burden. He's carrying it for me, and I'm just a branch. He's the vine, we're the branches. and. Our job is to just let go and let let him work through us and just let it be his love that we show and um, just really get filled up and nourished in scripture and really saturate myself with love so that I feel like I can love love another person. Certainly. Certainly. And I think sometimes, you know, the more we love someone, the more tendency there is to uh, agitate ourselves out of rest and get up and try to work and uh, really push this person in the right direction. But really the most work happens when we, when we sit down and we let God, we let God work and we surrender. Um, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And the more we 
the more we can just show God's love to this person, lather on love, the more they are to just soften and break and just really let go of everything. And I also, I also like to remember why is a person in a situation where they need to have truth spoken into them, into, and like you having to discern between how much truth and love to put into them. And I think it's because they have, they've fallen from a little bit of just, they've forgotten how much God loves them. They've forgotten how good God is. They are, they're just in need to be reminded of how good God is. And um, what I love to say to Farah is, Farah, I love you when you're good. I love you when you're bad. I love you when you're happy. I love you when you're sad. I love you when you're nice and mean. I think people are just really, really um, parched for remembering how good God is and how much he loves them. And I think when people are reminded of how much God loves them and how good he truly is and how he's on our side, that they will soften. And so I hope this helped you guys a little bit. Farrah, can you say bye? Bye. See you guys later. What is love? Love is a tension to be embraced, not a tightrope to be walked. Let's pray. God, would you help us to be loving people? We can only know how to love because you first loved us in the person of Jesus. And would you bring to mind the person that we need to love well this week? Would you give us the courage to walk into that relationship, that conversation full of grace and full of truth. Lord, when others confront us, would we, like David, repent and turn to Jesus because it's in him that we find life. And it's in his name we pray, amen.